0: Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Marilyn Thompson. And I'm Patty Vest.
1: After a brief hiatus, we're restarting SageCast in our original home at KSBC Studio, with new guests, a new look,
0: and a new host. Welcome Marilyn. Thanks Patty. it's great to be here. This season on SageCast, we'll be talking with Pomona College faculty about how they came to study what they study, teach what they teach, and love the field they love.
1: Today, we're talking with art historian and curator, Rosalia Romero, a Pomona faculty member whose research, teaching, and curatorial work focuses on Latin America and Latinx art.
0: Welcome to SageCast, Rosalia, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let's start with your background. Tell us where you're from. Yeah. Um, so I was born in the city
2: of Mexicali, um, which is on uh, the border between the United States and Mexico, um, in the state of Baja California. It's about three and a half-ish hours away from uh, where we're currently, where we currently are in Claremont. Um, so I was born in Mexicali, and uh, but I was raised on the other side of the border in the uh, in the Imperial Valley, mm-hmm. uh, in the city of uh, in the city of El Centro. And my parents were, uh, you know, both from Mexico. My father was from Sonora, and my mother was from uh, Nayarit, and they migrated to to Mexicali um, in uh, you know the 1970s and 1980s. Um, so early on, um, you know, or some of my kind of first really early, you know, kind of at least visual memories were um, of the border fence. Uh, because a lot of my family still lived on, still lived in Mexicali, and so you know, as a child, I would, you know, kind of cross the border with my parents, um, you know, either by car or by foot, and you know, I, I had to kind of pass through the the physical border fence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, really early on, I developed a curiosity, um, you know, around that experience, right? Um, you know, I. Yeah, it was, you know, kind of really important for me early on. But, um, you know, in relation to my research, I always tell my students that, you know, one's scholarly pursuits, right, Um, you know, kind of questions, you know, that that we want to kind of pursue in in our scholarship is always informed or influenced in some way um, by questions that we have about our own place, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in our in our own experiences of the world. so mm-hmm. our identity, um, you know uh, our community, um, you know our families, um, you know maybe even just the history or the places that we come from. And so I think early on, you know I, I had these kind of questions about you know, how to live with the reality of this physical barrier. Um, you know, but also, you know what, began to kind of develop questions around, you know, what are some of the strategies that we have to, you know, kind of critique, right, um, you know, or, or kind of contest, right, um, you know, that, you know, that, that really physical structure.
1: Growing up, being born and growing up in such a distinct place definitely mm-hmm. has, you know, shaped you know some of the things that that you do now, but yeah. um, one of the things that we wanted to ask you is when do you remember that first time? Like you remember being interested in art, in art history. When did that? Oh, when when was that awakening in you?
2: Yeah. So I think that you know one of the 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 first kind of moments where I really where my eyes really kind of like opened up um, to to art, and not just specifically to art, but also to Uh, like the border, Mm -hmm. um, was when I was, I think, about 11 years old, and an artist named Armando Rascón uh, kind of created a binational mural project. So he invited uh, communities, uh, kind of families that lived in Calexico and and in the Imperial Valley to, to paint the border wall. Um, so at the time, what we what the the architecture of the border was just all of these, you know, kind of rusted steel, um, you know, large metal plates, and he he wanted to transform it into a canvas, and so he invited schoolchildren um, among among others, and so I was part of a, a group of children, school kids, who went to Calexico one afternoon and painted. Uh, the border fence. Uh, So it was a a design that, um, you know, is still, you know, I can still visualize it in my mind because it was um, in the shape of a, uh, the design motif of a Olmec jade axe. And so you had this, you know, kind of interlinking of circles and diamonds Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, this really bright red and yellow and green and blue. Um, And so I was one of the kids who helped kind of complete the the mural. And so I think that that experience really early on, you know, kind of introduced me to, you know, the paint, the the material, right, Um, and and the, you know, the practice. But also, you know, I think being so close to the border fence um, at 11 years old, uh, you know, this was, you know, this was a, you know, this was an icon, right, that I had always kind of seen from you know, the car, um, you know, I would always kind of pass it or I would see it from a distance. But in that moment, I was so close to it, um, you know, I could touch it, right? And I could touch it with a paintbrush and and kind of cover up some of the, you know, kind of some some of the rust, right? And uh, I think that was, you know, that kind of always stuck with me. Um, And I think from there on, I, yeah, I just became even more interested in all things art uh, and all things, you know, that were related to, the history, um, you know, of that,
0: you know, of that symbol of the, of the border. You worked at a couple of contemporary art museums before you came to Pomona. What led you to academia? So
2: um, I interned as um, right like right out a- right after college. I, you know, interned at the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego um, this was, you know, right after I graduated uh, with a with a bachelor's in communications from UC San Diego and I knew that I wanted to work in museums, but wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, interned in the communications department, was working a lot in, you know, kind of doing more kind of marketing and public relations work. That was really exciting. And then I went on to the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art mm. uh, where I worked in the curatorial department. Mm. And there I got some really exciting, you know, kind of uh, hands-on experiences working with artists, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of helping them create the, you know, create their installations or create their sculptures. Um, but I think that in the, you know, in in my heart, um, you know, I was always really interested in doing, you know, kind of l- – long, deep, intense research. And I had these kind of questions that had remained with me uh, throughout my my bachelor's degree, or like my bachelor's work. Um, you know, at UC San Diego, I wrote a senior thesis on cultural production, mm-hmm. um, artists uh, and community centers in the Mexicali Calexico, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of border region. and. I think I still had a lot of questions that I wanted to answer. And so decided that, um, you know, while I loved museum work and I loved working with contemporary artists, uh, I, I wanted to do some of that more, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, deep intensive, um, yeah, deep intensive research in order to begin to formulate kind of questions that I had
1: about, you know,
2: about, about art uh, at the border.
1: Can you explain a little bit on what cultural production is? What does it entail? And what was what was it you were studying and kind of you started yeah. you know, kind of scratching the surface with your um, thesis?
2: Yeah. So cultural production, um, I think, you know, kind of means a range of different kind of practices that are related to art, but also, you know, to, to other forms of, you know, kind of visual or literary or um, uh, like musical, you know, kind of cultures. So... In Mexicali, what I thought was incredibly interesting was that um, a lot of, you know, kind of young artists weren't necessarily exhibiting in the university galleries or in the state galleries, that they were forming alternative Hmm. galleries and spaces Hmm. for, for exhibiting and kind of creating their work. And so I was really interested in that dynamic because as part of, you know, them building these you know, kind of cultural centers, right? They 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 weren't limiting their public to people in the art scene, right? Mm-hmm. Or to, to the more kind of formal mm-hmm. art scene. They were really interested in reaching a much broader public. Um, a broader public in the city of Mexicali, but also a broader publics across the border. So they were constantly collaborating with other artists or, you know, Business owners across the across the border in the Imperial Valley, um, other musicians, other writers, you know, kind of etc. And so, you know, this was something that I thought was really unique to the Mexicali kind of Imperial uh, Imperial Valleys. It was that the culture was kind of produced constantly,
0: collaboratively, and in this really kind of transborder ways. How do you see the study of art history shaping your students today? I mean, I think that's a, yeah, that's a really great question. Um,
2: I teach a, I teach, uh, I mean, I guess one of the ways that I would answer that would be, you know, the kinds of courses that I have designed, uh, you know, kind of for, you know, kind of for Pomona students, right? So I teach, you know, a range of different courses within the this you know really broad field of Latin American and US Latinx art and you know i you know, my my courses are also cross listed in you know CLS and Latin American studies and i see that students have you know a real kind of deep interest in learning more about the cultures of um you know of Latin American but also of people in the US of Latin American descent mm-hmm. And so I think that you know one of the things that is kind of really fascinating that you know they they get in my courses is this perspective that you know the visual can teach us so much about different cultures and you know the way that societies are organized um, and and also history, right? So I take a very particular approach where I think that art, all forms of art are actually documents of, social history, right, Um, that we, you know, that we can learn so much about, you know, a particular, you know, kind of culture and its history kind of from from visual sources. And so I think that, you know, kind of students are incredibly, you know, like deeply interested in learning more about Latin American politics and, uh, you know, economy, diplomatic relations between the U.S. um, uh, and the Americas. And I show them how to analyze that, or how to kind of get to um, you know a study, you know, of the history, but through visual sources.
1: Tell us a little bit more about the classes you teach. Um, you started a little bit. You have one on Southern California murals, um, but I know you you have others. Tell us about some of the classes that you teach.
2: Yeah, so I teach. Um, I teach a couple of. I keep teach a couple of courses that I'm really really excited about. Um, you know, like you said, I teach an ID one, um, you know, criti- a critical inquiry seminar um, that's specifically on the topic of Southern California murals. So it's a great course because it introduces students, um, you know, to you know, to, to murals, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. a little bit of an introduction to you know, kind of art history. Um, but it also introduces them to the place that they are now in, right? Which is, you know, southern, you know, southern Claremont. Um, you know, we do, you know, we, you know, we do a whole day when we're walking around the Claremont Village, looking at, you know, kind of a couple of the um, the murals there. Uh, but also, kind of Claremont's place within the broader geography, um, you know. So, you know, the surrounding cities, the surrounding, you know like, you know, Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, but also the border. And so one of the, you know, things that I'm really excited about in that course is that we don't actually start in Southern California. We actually start in Mexico, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in order to kind of show that, you know, Southern California, right, is kind of shaped by this, you know, kind of much longer kind of history, um, you know, kind of between, you know, uh, uh, migrants from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And yeah. did they
1: end up at Ferrari?
2: They do. We actually were there. <laughs> we were actually there yesterday. Okay. Um, yeah. So we have an entire session that's specifically on the Prometheus uh, Prometheus mural. Um, you know, kind of Orozco's you know 1930 masterpiece. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: It's one of the advantages of having definitely. A piece yeah, on definitely.
2: Campus. <laughs> but you know, tomorrow we're actually going to the Benton to see the sketches. Um, for uh, for you know for the Prometheus mural right mm-hmm. that is now at the at the Museum of Art here, so they get you know kind of two different perspectives right. They see the finished the polished mural, uh, but they also get to see all of the different sketches and the studies that the artist mm-hmm. kind of created um, you know for for the design for the design
0: of the mural. What is the role of murals in contemporary art? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Um, <laughs> I think, so, you know, one of the
2: things that we talk about in, you know, in Southern California murals, but also that I, you know, kind of develop, you know, kind of more broadly in my, you know, in my own work, um, is that murals are one of the first, I think, kind of truly public forms of art um, that are developed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're really looking at a monumental kind of painting form, um, you know, that, you know, many, many people kind of can see or can kind of experience at one time. And so it's a very, you know, I think kind of collective experience looking at a mural, right? Um, and this is, you know, kind of quite distinct from, let's say, small easel painting, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the mural tradition, at least, uh, you know, in in, in Mexican um in Mexican history, right, is that emerges in the 1920s after a period of conflict, um, which was the Mexican Revolution of 1910, and you know the the you know kind of muralism becomes the dominant media mm. for um, a state, you know a state a, new, a kind of newly established state government that is looking to unify, right, um, its people. And so, you know, kind of public, uh, the public, right, becomes a really critical concept here uh, because they believe that through that collective kind of experience of, you know, kind of seeing and engaging with a monumental kind of painting form, right, that that experience might, you know, kind of unite, yeah, Mm -hmm. united people, right? Mm -hmm. But also the messages that we see in in murals. Um, You know, it's... You know, a lot of murals, at least the ones that I focus on in, in the course, are done in a very kind of representational and figurative style, right? Which means that, you know, the what's being depicted is a form or a figure or subject um, that's recognizable, right? So a bird, you know, looks like, you know, a bird. Mm-hmm. A, a bird is kind of like painted um, as it looks mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in the, you know, in our in our physical reality, mm-hmm. right? And that's another kind of strategy that, you know, kind of helps kind of create this kind of collective, you know, kind of experience, right, is that we all might recognize, you know, the form. And so that also kind of contributes to, you know, what you know, it's kind of, you know, sometimes kind of contested or debated, uh, but is a uniform kind of meaning, right? Um, That murals are, you know, kind of also kind of communicating uh, a a uniform message, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, we all might, you know, kind of understand kind of, you know, together. So, you know, in the the course, which I can't even remember, but (laughs) maybe what we're talking about, um, you know, kind of in the course we talk we talk a lot about that right like we talk uh about you know kind of what are the some of the big you know kind of questions um, you know that emerge when we look at a mural together do we have the same questions um do we are we making the same you know kind of meaning or interpretation um, of the work and if so you know why or why not
0: mm-hmm. I forget what your
2: question was. It was something about murals. <laughs> it
0: was uh, the role of murals in,
2: in contemporary art. <laughs> yeah, the roles of mural in contemporary art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look at a lot of, you know, to be honest with you, I, you know, I love contemporary murals. Um, but my my passion is really for murals that are created in the in the modern period, um, you know, nineteen twenties to about nineteen forties. And so mm. we do a lot of that. Uh, you know, we 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 look um, at a lot of modern uh Kind of murals in in Southern California, um, Southern California murals in the ID one course, mm-hmm. um, but we also look at some contemporary murals. So you know, last year I took my students to Judy Baca, um, uh, Judy Baca's Great Wall of Los Angeles, which is in North Hollywood. Mm. Um, it's the largest, you know, kind of largest mural um, in the United States, huh. um, and it's just yeah, it's kind of incredible site to see. You you have to see it in person, right? right. Which is why we took a, a special right. field trip to to see it. And so they they literally walked the mural, right? Um, uh, but also the the mural is kind of telling the kind of long history um of the Los Angeles region from prehistory all the way up until uh, about the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. Um and it's actually going to be expanded. Mm. Um, so the next you know 20 years like 1980 to to um to the 2000s is part of the next phase of the mural project
1: now okay. yeah. rosalie you mentioned earlier the benton
0: mm-hmm. um so
1: we're, that's another uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have a teaching art museum the benton museum of art um, yeah. on campus uh tell us how you collaborate with with the museum yeah so you know i think that the Benten
2: is an incredible resource. Um, you know, I think we're definitely, the art history department is definitely spoiled, right? And that, you know, kind of we have this really, really amazing collection uh, that we can take our students to. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the temporary exhibitions are always kind of fantastic. So I, every single course that I teach at Pomona, we always go and view either some of the temporary exhibitions or go into uh, the vaults um, mm-hmm. and into the, the seminar rooms to look at, like you know, to to, to look at uh, the objects, the paintings, the prints, uh, kind of firsthand. So that's that's a really really fantastic you know kind of resource. But mm-hmm. as a as a teaching um, uh, you know as a teaching museum, I think that the curators there, uh, at the Benton are incredibly, you know, kind of supportive. And, you know, they come and give guest lectures, you know, in my courses, um, which is, you know, just always like such a joy. Um, you know, the students get to learn from them about, you know, not just, you know, kind of art history, right? Or like the history of the prints and, and the paintings that are, that are in the collection. But also, you know, I think, you know, it, it's also a really great insight into the profession Right. Um, you know, they get to have really amazing conversations with Celine Moore and Claire Nettleton and Victoria sanchez um about, you know, what does a curator do? Right. Mm-hmm. Or what does a museum director do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're really kind of fortunate to have them, you know, for that reason. Uh, but also, you know, the, you know, kind of being a, a teaching museum, the Benton also kind of has these really amazing opportunities for faculty and students to collaborate in the curation of an exhibition. Mm. So in spring of 2020, um, you know, right at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, my students were given, my students in the border art seminar uh, were given the opportunity to curate an exhibition, you know, using the Benton's permanent collection, mm-hmm. um, basically to create an exhibition about the topic of the seminar. So, you know, I, I was able to advise a team, a really fantastic team of three student curators as they, you know, kind of sourced and researched the Benton's collection to find photographs that addressed the border experience mm-hmm. Um, and so that that you know kind of culminated in the exhibition that's titled Cross Border Photography, um, which you know kind of sadly is no longer in the galleries anymore. I kind of really miss it, um, but was was a really kind of fantastic kind of experience for the students. Um, you know they were really able to not just engage with the collection, but I think also kind of contribute to discussions. Um, And conversations on the Pomona campus, uh, but also, you know, you know, both in person and virtually, um, because some of the some of the programming had to be done virtually because of the pandemic. Um, But I think that they 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 were able to, you know, kind of address some really important issues around, um, you know, kind of contemporary or like, you know, kind of present day border politics Um, as well as the history of, you know, migration and the kind of interrelation of culture between the United States and Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were able to do that, you know, kind of just by having these, you know, kind of conversations um, and, and showcasing
0: some really great art. You're working on a book on a really interesting topic of anarchism and modern art. Tell us about the connection between them. Yeah, so
2: my book is uh, on the influence of anarchism on the development of modern art in, in, in Mexico, um, and specifically in early 20th century Mexico around 1900 to about 1940. Uh, and so that I'm, I argue that uh, anarchist philosophies were... Um, and anarchist uh, anarchist artists, so artists that were affiliated with anarchist organizations, um, were really critical in aesthetic debates um, about modernism in, in Mexico. And uh, this is all kind of happening uh, around the time of the Mexican Revolution of 1910. Hmm. So uh, several uh, of the central figures of my study were directly involved with Uh, revolutionary actions um, you know between 1910 and 1920 uh, but also in the reconstruction of the Mexican state in Mm. the period uh, after after the revolution so um, you know one of the things that I'm I'm arguing is that anarchists uh, you know were not only influential in Mexican political history uh, but they were also kind of really kind of important for the creation of concepts around revolutionary art, mm-hmm. um, and in in a moment that you know really precedes, you know, artists like Diego Rivera, Jose Clemente Orozco, David Alfaro Siqueiros, who would come to adopt that term. Right. Mm-hmm. So the anarchists did it first. Right.
1: So who are some of those figures?
2: Yeah, so some of the central figures of my study um, are Ricardo Flores Magón and Rosendo Salazar, who are you know kind of fairly you know fairly well known in Mexican political history uh, because they were leaders in the anarchist organizations, and you know we often know of them for their contributions or for the. Yeah, you know, for their, for, their, for, for their activism in the Mexican political sphere during the, during the time period. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I'm arguing is that not only were they political thinkers, um, but they were also aesthetic thinkers who developed theories mm-hmm. of revolutionary art. Um, and Rosendo Salazar would actually uh, kind of transform himself into a, into a self-taught painter in the 1920s yeah 1920s and 1930s um so part of the work is also recovering uh his you know yeah like the 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 body of his you know the, the whole body of his paintings um which is you know means going into auction house records and kind of tracing you know where a lot of the where a lot of the paintings went um but the other kind of figure that that I look at is a really, you know, kind of highly celebrated modern artist whose name is Doctor Atol, um, who is, you know, kind of known as one of Mexico's kind of great landscape painters um, of the early 20th century. He, you know, kind of, you know, is, you know, kind of really popular for his uh, paintings of expressionist paintings of volcanoes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, of the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that I argue in the book is that, you know, while Dr. Adol, you know, was incredibly, you know, kind of important for, for, for landscape painting, uh, he was also directly involved with anarchist groups uh, in Europe, but also in Mexico. Hmm. And so it's kind of... You know, on the re- reverse, right? It's mm-hmm. um, you know, showing how this aesthetic thinker was also a political activist, uh, but specifically uh, an anarchist activist, um, you know, in 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 Mexico. Uh, but one of the other things that I'm trying to argue in the book, um, you know, it, you know, it's a, it's about the development of modernism, but I'm also showing how. Uh, these figures were also active in border regions and they are you know they're organizing workers and they're trying to foment revolution on the borderlands um you know and so at the same time that they're developing art theories right or they're you know kind of creating paintings with you know anarchist uh kind of imagery they are also creating and thinking about the importance of the u.s mexico border right and i argue that some of their works you know are really early examples of border art, right? Uh, but specifically border art that's affiliated with uh, anarchist philosophies. So, you know, the you know, the book is doing, you know, kind of both things, right? It's, you know, I think it's really exciting um, you know, because I I see this as a contribution to early border art histories, right? Uh, before the 1960s. Right.
1: I want to touch on another current project that mm-hmm. you're working on, um, the Mexicali Bienal, Bienal, yeah, it's easier for me to say in Spanish for some yeah, reason, yeah, 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 <laughs> um, tell us about that project, um, your curatorial experience, obviously, is the um, very important for this project, but tell us a little bit about that, um, what's coming, and then some of your students, how are they involved in it?
2: Yeah, so the Mexicali Biennial is an incredibly exciting, uh, you know, kind of project that I'm working on. Um, the Biennial has been around since about 2006, and it's an arts organization that is aimed at showcasing um, and supporting artists of from California and Baja California, um, you know, but but also to kind of show the interrelations, kind of between, you know, artists and, yeah, and, and artistic production between these kind of, yeah, between the two regions and across and across the border. So, um, you know, kind of since two thousand six, it's, you know, really kind of been aimed at showcasing the the work of local artists, um, but also kind of young and and young and emerging artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it was founded by two artists, Luis Hernandez and Ed uh, and Gomez. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really kind of an artist-driven, it's an artist-driven project. Um, but, you know, since about, I, I got involved in about a year and a half ago, um, and it's been, you know, in, incredibly exciting. Um, right now, we are organizing what will be the fifth iteration Um, of the biennial. And we are really focusing on the theme of agriculture in the shared region of California and Baja California. So we're inviting artists to kind of explore issues around food production, Mm -hmm. um, you know, food production, shared histories of migrant labor, um, you know, environmental impacts. Um, of, you know, kind of, you know, of of agriculture in California's, um, as well as, you know, cultural culinary traditions, um, you know, kind of in both in both places. And, yeah, so it's titled, it will be titled, The Land of Milk and Honey. Um, The first exhibition uh, is actually already up. So it's at the it's currently installed at the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History Um, and it'll be at that space until December 31st. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then it will inaugurate at the new Chichmarin Center for Chicano Art and Culture. A great Um, venue
1: by the the way. It was there last week. yeah,
2: Yeah. In Riverside. It's exactly in Riverside. So a little bit closer to home, a little bit closer to Pomona. Um, that'll happen in spring of 2023, so mm-hmm. next year. Uh, then we take a little bit of a break, and then we will inaugurate our border program um, in the city of Mexicali mm. uh, in fall of 2023. So one of the really fascinating things about the biennial is that you know while it's you know kind of a you know a series of multi-sided exhibitions, right? Like it's kind of happening in you know in different places, it's traveling. Um, the you know, it, it seems to be like a little bit nomadic mm-hmm. that um, the the founders of the biennial, right, have committed to always having one of the exhibitions in the city of of Mexicali. Um, and so that for me is incredibly exciting because it's like kind maintaining of retaining the roots. Maintaining the roots, mm-hmm. right? It's like going back home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and getting to work with, you know, kind of artists that, you know, um, a lot of you know a lot of them I've known for a really long time. Um, you know, but but also getting kind of getting support, getting to support their work, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and also getting to, you know, I think kind of shed a spotlight on Mexicali, uh, Mexicali sure. arts, right, which is really exciting. And students are involved. Students are involved. Yeah. So you know, as you know, I teach a seminar on U.S. Mexico border art. Uh, the last, the last, uh, last semester, I actually brought the kind of curators of the biennial to give a guest lecture in the course. It was really, really exciting. Um, but I've been really fortunate to work with some really excellent research assistants um, who have really kind of contributed to, you know. Uh, you know, our knowledge of some really, really important issues um, that have come to kind of inform either the selection um, of the artists or kind of other, you know, other projects. So as part of the biennial, we launched a research initiative, um, specifically a Borderlands Research Initiative, Mm -hmm. with the Library of Congress, um, Mm -hmm. the the Hispanic Reading Room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the central aims is to generate research projects um, about the about the borderlands but specifically like you know border art and so we wrote a series of research guides um, for the for the library of Congress those are online now and my re- my then research assistant um, Alexandra Claire Dean who graduated uh, in spring of you know last year um, she was one of the contributors mm-hmm. so she helped write some of the kind of content the guides mm-hmm. And then uh, this semester, I'm working with uh, another Pomona College art history major, Samuel White, who is tackling another part of the Borderlands Research Initiative. So he's developing content for a um, land of milk and honey story map that's going to feature artworks that are going to be uh, in the physical exhibition. Mm -hmm. Um, But what, you know, what he's able to do is source from the collections of the Library of Congress, right? Historical photographs, documents, newspaper articles, letters correspond, all of that. Um, And he's creating a digital kind of historical uh, map that will contextualize the, contextualize the artworks. So we're working with Daniel Ruanova, who's a Tijuana-based um, Tijuana-based artist mm-hmm. that's creating a very large kinetic sculpture that is made up of um, cortitos, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. shorthanded, mm-hmm. these shorthanded ho- hose um, mm-hmm. that uh, Braceros used mm-hmm. in the 1940s. Um, the kinetic sculpture will kind of feature kind of several cortitos mm-hmm. and the cortitos will move um you know as if they are you know kind of plowing pl- plowing the field oh, wow. so, so sam is working on um, yeah sam is working on the research for for that project but you know he's also been able to curate photographs from the library of congress collection um, that are specifically related to bracero history mm-hmm writing uh you know kind of short texts um about them so that you know the the visitors or the viewers of the story map will Mm -hmm. be able to kind of better understand the history of the cortito history history of the bracero program um yeah and you know kind of history of the mexican labor agreement
1: that sounds like a great project is it at the beginning stages or
2: uh, we're halfway there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. About halfway there. Yeah. To yeah. We're hoping that. to launch uh, the story map around the time of the Cheech exhibition, the Cheech okay.
1: opening. Yeah. So, so in the spring. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly okay. in the spring.
1: Yeah. All right. All yeah. Right. This is wonderful. Great. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. Our thanks to Assistant Professor of Art History Rosalia Romero for talking with us about the visual culture of Mexico and the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. Thank you, Rosalia.
0: Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. Until next time.